Everybody, this is uh, Craig from the Pacific War Channel, and I'm joined here by two familiar faces. You might know them from previous podcasts. Got Ian in the hat. Hello there. And uh, Justin, not with the hat. What's up, everybody? Chrome Dome coming at you. And sorry if you catch any sparkles off the top of the head, but <laughs> you know, well, us- usually Craig still can't afford a good lighting setup. Yeah, yeah, okay. You can see that the green screen is a little bit messed up. This might just be Wait, for the patrons. I thought things were real books. Yeah, that's why I painted this room like lime green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me grab a book here. Hang on. Oh, darn. Did I just expose you? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, no research has been done for this one. Uh, our friend here, Justin, for no apparent reason, just said, hey, I got an idea for a podcast. I'm going to ask you some questions, maybe about World War II or something else. I don't know. And I said, well, well you know what? I'll bring Ian over because he knows a thing or two. And uh, this might all go to shit, so uh, this might be a Patreon exclusive if it's That's why we have beer, to make it better, yeah. as everything does. So, uh, I don't know what to expect, and I guess we're going to expand upon questions that he... Oh, he actually wrote it on paper. Okay. Oh, we got a list, folks. Uh, so question we... number one, I guess. Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know I now have a Patreon account found at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War Channel. Over there, you can find exclusive Patreon episodes and podcasts based on suggestions from patrons, and other benefits like early access to all of my content, live hangouts, your name in the end credits, and much, much more. So please go check it out. Hot question number one. So basically, most of you who have seen me before know I'm not a huge history buff. It wasn't my main focus of studies. But there are certain historical events or facts that I find interesting, and when I do, I don't mind researching them a bit, or in this case asking my personal wikipedia about it which is Craig when it comes to history so i've come across a few things recently that i just want to ask craig about and craig and ian can riff off it if they know something about it the things i'm saying this ahead of time they can also maybe fact check some of this stuff because it might not be true i have no idea anything about the question you you drove in together this could be a collusion here like i said internet is an interesting place there's all kinds of bullshit out there so i don't know if some of this stuff is true it's things that I've heard or seen or found interesting that we want to talk or that I would like to ask questions about and see if these guys know anything about it. So one of the first things is something I picked up on a video recently that uh, maybe Craig can find the short and send it uh, and show it to you guys on the video. Great. I have to edit this now. Yes. <laughs> okay. yeah, but ready. it's regarding, I think they're called German or not, sorry, not German. They're called war sleds from World War II. And essentially, they were big metal sleds pulled behind tanks that they used to get soldiers into strategic locations during certain battles. Now, as some of you may know, we're Canadian, so sledding is very much in our blood. But that does not seem like a comfortable ride to be dragged in a metal sled across rocky terrain and war fucking destroyed fields behind a tank. To try and get into a position. Is this something that was popular? Is it something that was actually used? Is it... Uh, have either of you guys heard of this? Uh, I actually have, I haven't really heard of it, but uh, is this Allied or Axis? This was uh, apparently done by uh, the Allied forces. Because I know, like, you know, uh, if you had infantry, like, sometimes they hitch a ride, but it wasn't necessarily in a battle. In a battle, they would be... 
Yeah. Well, here again, I, I, I think Craig has seen this before, but I can show oh, it yeah, in. It's and got visual can... footage, so I'm going to actually have to edit stuff then. Yeah, yeah, and he can actually show it. But uh, oh, Okay. Okay. The, the, these are literally metal sleds aligned in like almost a sled okay. dog kind of formation that are being dragged behind tanks yeah. with soldiers clinging for dear life. Well, you know, other. based off the footage, you can already see why this is being employed. It's to protect the infantry yeah. coming in. From and behind. so you can Rather move, than, than just being on a, foot, I guess? Or? Yeah, moving at a slightly faster speed than the infantry following like directly yeah. behind a tank using the tank as cover. I mean, I could see the the usefulness of it. Like, okay, move faster. And it looked from the video that it had a, a latch system where they could just release the sleds. Like, once they're in a, uh, I guess, strategic, like, spot on the battlefield. They'll... So when infantry is helping a tank formation go into an enemy line, let's say the enemies have a defensive line. It's like a straight line. Okay. In the Pacific War, World War II, going back to World War One, even... They noticed immediately, tanks go in alone, they eventually just get annihilated because other defenders' infantry will use anti-tank methods to get rid of them. So you needed infantry to be able to protect the tanks from other infantry, but you had the tanks trying to break these lines or formations or pillboxes or bunkers. Okay. But if your infantry is coming from behind, that's great. Okay, so they can't be shot at, they're behind these tanks and columns. As soon as you get closer and closer to the line, all of a sudden the unfolding fire from the other sides now can hit your infantry. Okay. So you're in danger. Now let's say you want to go through a line, as we saw in this video, very quickly. We saw the example a tank was going over some ruins of a building or something, right? There might be units to the left and right of this. So these guys, they want to go over and punch a hole or do something like the Germans would have said is like a... Yeah, but obviously punch. then you're taking crossfire and... Yeah, but these sleds would have, I guess, helped. It is comical when you look at it. It reminds me of something, but it's completely different. The Japanese, during um, the Siberian intervention, I think that's when I heard about it, they were using uh, sled-like devices attached to armored cars and like little tanks but it was to move their wounded or just to go somewhere quicker because obviously you have a more tank. For, more from a logistical yeah, like, exactly. point, uh, point of view. Yeah. You have a certain amount of horses because horses in World War One, World War II, that was the majority of your movement. You, well, mobile yeah. infantry was the, it was the real well, no, it was reality, uh, but there wasn't much of it. I guess a horse the, could the get Americans shot. pioneered mobile infantry. Yeah. The Germans didn't like, have mobile infantry. The logistic system is incomparable to anyone else. But the, the sleds going directly into combat the way that it looked like, and he even made kind of the comparison to them being in coffins, which is comical, because yeah. it looked like they were coffins. For It looked like four to six uh, infantrymen behind a tank. With... Yeah. yeah. That, uh, that would have played out in the Western Front World War II. It wouldn't work in most Pacific War terrains. Uh, it's, it looked a little gimmicky, but I'm, I'm sure it was employed by not just the Americans. I'm sure both sides had something similar to this. Probably not on a large scale. Uh, no. It's, well, I mean, if neither of you have ever heard of it before, obviously it's not something that was done uh, a it, lot. If the enemy knows that this it, it was, device, I don't think it was meta tactics. It was yeah, probably just something, okay, they're like trying out and seeing, okay, does this have potential? Because let's be fair. Like I said, as Canadians, we've all done gone sledding, tobogganing, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, what were those things? Uh, crazy carpets crazy or silly carpets? carpets? Oh we all know, even going down, we've all sprained ourselves on those. Even yeah. going down a snowy hill, you hit that one bump or root or chunk of ice, and you're feeling that shit yeah. the next day. 
So in a metal sled going across rocky terrain. And ruins. There was literally broken bricks. You could see the things yeah, going yeah, like, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we can all agree these soldiers like, needed a little uh, rub A535 the next day because they probably got fucked and, up. And probably the intent to speed dragged to have these things. sleds go. It's like, you know, 35, 45 kilometers an hour. Like That's rough. Jesus. That's rough. Yeah. But, I mean, given the choice, if you... <laughs> We're going to be running behind the, an Abrams tank or you're going to be in one of those kind of defensive little coffins. Yeah, I guess I take the coffin, but I, I don't see a lot of these things being employed. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. It seems like one of those gimmicky things, but yeah. I, I caught the video on that the other day and I thought that was so, uh, so yeah, like, just I, weird. I so it's like, weird. okay, this was a thing. I can or... see where they're coming from. Okay, like, if the Sherman's moving at, you know, faster speed and it still has an infantry support, yeah. like, close by, okay, so it's... I mean, a faster-moving tank is harder to hit with an 88 uh, anti-tank gun or, yeah. or, or the Panthers or whatever they have. Uh, but I mean, it, like, knee, knee motors. How much so? How much so? Little knee motors would have just, like, the shrapnel is still going to shower on top. Yeah. It's still going to get you. There's no yeah, encasing. Yeah, I didn't yeah see but that's case. another thing. If the tank hits a landmine or something like that, like, the people in the sleds are not going to have a good day. Like, that's... Well, it depends where I the think, tank, yeah. I think they came up with this as a compromise, okay, rather than the soldiers piggybacking on top of the tank where they, they're much more exposed to yeah. fire. Because like, that's the other thing. Compromise. You're laying down in a metal sled it's and you're being dragged, so obviously they got to hang on. It's not like they could fire their weapons or... Like, they still had to get to a place where they could stop before I they mean, could defend the tank. I guess you could go up like this and try to fire your weapon, but you might shoot... Yourself. But I don't know, like, it's hard to see in the video. I don't know if they're laying down, like, skeleton style or if they're, like, hanging on to a bar in the front and getting legit dragged. And it's not, it's like, I'm, a... I'm kind of thinking it's hard to shoot or defend your prison. So at what point are you just essentially in another tank behind the current and it's tank? also not Call of Duty where, you know, when you're exposed to that, you know, moving, like, 30, 40 kilometers an hour, but... Uh, on bumpy terrain or whatever, going all over the place, you're going to have accurate shots. Exactly. Although, from a shock troop perspective, yeah, that's let's, what I'm thinking. If you got a light, a, yeah, if you got a light it, tank, it's more for a shock troop. You got a light tank. You got I don't know how many of these, maybe six of these coffin things or eight, and you're blasting right through a position. You're getting behind a line, and these like eight guys just get up and start firing. Yeah, you could surprise the enemy. I mean, if the enemy didn't know what was okay. coming. Okay, so I see, almost like a smash and grab kind of fucking. Yeah. But again, it doesn't I, seem like something that was done en masse. Yeah. yeah. It, I think it was like something experimental. They tried it out, but proved not to be entirely effective. Okay. Now, my next question is also tank related. Now, this is just a little tidbit I found that I didn't know or I don't know again. What's this I read about in a couple different places about male and female tanks in World War oh, II? Yeah. And apparently it, has, it has something to do with what kind of artillery is yeah. mounted on it, the it, tank. Different variants. Yeah, some of them would be, um, like, given a male variant. Some of them Like, big giant gun is a dude and, like, uh, two tits um, is a girl? Or, like, I, 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 maybe I, one, I don't I understand. Think, uh, what are we... What you how, how does that get classed there, as there male There were a female? couple criteria to it, I, and I'm, I'm probably wrong on this. Um, but, like, the female tanks were more... Uh, they had more personnel inside, and they were... Uh, somewhat capable of unloading troops. So, like, you'd have, like, infantry troops inside the tank, and then you can unload them. And 
Whereas from the from what I read, it was more something literally firearm. to do with what guns were mounted on the tank or what. Uh, well, you have uh, there's a variety of different armaments going up from large turrets to. But just, again, how is that just not is a different cool. model of tank? Like how how did they come up? with I'm not a tanky. Female? I've heard I've heard of this, but I don't know what differentiates a male from a female, quote unquote, tank or you know, no, like tankette, for example. I've heard of that before, though I'm just not too familiar with it. Believe it, it, it's the caliber of the gun because that was just a natural progression. Like, okay, the Germans, when they first came out, they were using 75 millimeter uh, short bore uh, yeah. cannons, which proved like largely ineffective against uh, heavy armored uh, German tanks. And eventually, they went into the 76 millimeter with the, the Sherman, uh, Sherman Model 4 by that time, like the fourth generation of it that they were using the 76s, but it wouldn't have been designated the female variant. Funny enough, I was asked, I think it's already come out now. Yeah, I think it, it has come out. I was asked uh, by Kings in General to write a script on the history of tanks, which I declined to write because honestly, it was a bit of a nightmare from a research point of view. You'd be reading a lot of different books for that one because it was the it, evolution it, uh, it of tanks. It is a very fascinating topic. Oh, it's so... I don't know if I'm allowed to, to mention it, uh, but on Netflix, they, they do have a great yeah, it was uh, a good documentary, documentary done, series. Uh, a French documentary, uh, Age of Tanks. Age of Tanks, yeah. Starting off with like, the creation of World War One and up until modern day. And how they were seen as kind of a comical gimmicky thing at the beginning. And then someone like mm-hmm. Churchill said, oh, these uh, land... We called them land whales, right? Uh, uh, land whales? Was that it? I think we called they, them land whales. Land ships. Land ships? Was like, that, yeah. that was the original intention. It was, okay, it's a ship on land. And then they quickly realized, as everybody who employed tanks realized, by themselves, not very impressive, a little gimmicky, but when masked... As a large force, absolutely devastating for a battle. Well, yeah, we saw that in World War One the first time. Okay, British four hundred tanks. Wow. But uh, the, okay. to get back, just, yeah, to get back to your before. female male. I, well, I, that's the whole point. I mean, we're we're riffing off this stuff. These, these are just interesting things I read that I picked up that I was kind of like, like, oh, that's like Ian was saying at the beginning. It made more sense from his point of view that uh, certain tanks would have more room for crews to be inside and there's other tanks that are heavy in armament so it's full of shells and less crews so yeah you, and there's tanks for different jobs you have light tanks for mobility you have heavy tanks that are meant to probably take down other heavy tanks or bunker buster type you know like to yeah. take down a pillbox for example you got flamethrower tanks fire tanks mm. which are effective in the pacific war male and female i almost want to say though it makes me think how people enter the tank might play into it like This is part of the article I found, which, again, I don't know how relevant this is, but uh, the female tank was a variation of the British heavy tank deployed in the First World War. But here I found the apparent... Male tank had spawnsoons, each one mounted a 57mm 6-pound gun. Female tanks, on the other hand, each mounted two cumbersome spawnsoons. Designed to carry two Vickers water-cooled heavy machine guns instead. Okay. That's so yeah, just as like, but again, I don't know it, where the it, correlation is male female. Really, yeah, that's uh, that's it. Uh, they didn't really like, have did one of them get fucked more in battle. Or they didn't really have that designation in World War Two. It was a World War One uh, thing yeah, where like you'd have uh, uh, like the same model of tank, but one had heavier guns, whereas the other one was a more of a, an anti-personnel designated with like machine guns yeah. and that it, 
Well, tanks in World War One also, you have to, just the shapes of them, because, you know, you had some of them that were, you know, the machine guns were on the sides. Uh, if you remember, actually, from the third Indiana Jones film, famously, they're showing one of these tanks yeah, operating yeah. there. And then you have what looks more like a modern the, tank yeah, in World the, War Two. that was the Tog 1, I think, that they had yeah. in... Uh... That was a German tank, wasn't it? No, a French, I believe. It's a French? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a French tank, okay. But, uh... Yeah, no, you got me with that one. I've never, I, I've heard of the term like male and female tanks, but uh, I think this might be. More I, I heard it too, and then it's like uh, the first thing like. I wonder I how well it would go in a modern day if you bought like a Tesla and you had like the power windows option and the not power windows option, and you referred to one of them as female and one of them as male. I think you'd have more problems. Don't today assume with, like uh... first of all, don't assume my car is gender. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay, now. Actually, you segued us kind of into the next piece because you mentioned uh, Sir Winnie Churchill. Oh, okay. right. Okay. And I know you are a fan, as many people are. I don't know a whole lot about Winston Churchill other than what everybody knows, which is fan. he drank a lot. But, you know. <laughs> he drank, he smoked a lot, but he's yeah. also... But despite everything he did, and I know he was famous for sending uh, war records back at one point. But I didn't realize he won a Nobel Prize in literature. Oh, yeah. How the That's hell... Right. Have you heard his speeches? This man was an oratory genius. He's, he's considered one of the greatest speechwriters of all time. And what's funny about they wrote it, it himself. they've oh. gotten AI systems to try and make speeches from famous people. Has a lot of trouble with Churchill. Really? Yeah, a lot of trouble with Churchill. Just because it can't get on that same level? or Yeah, Churchill had just a very unique way of speaking and uh, writing his speeches. Yeah. But he was it, he was so on the spot a lot of the time, too. Like, he wrote these things on it. And even, like, in um, in company of others, like, uh, yes, he was a great speechwriter, but he was just also, he had a great grasp of the English language. Uh, yeah. and. It did rub a lot of people the wrong way. They thought he was oh, arrogant, yeah. you know, the self-absorbed. Well, Chir- Churchill, Churchill's a 19th century man. He was a linguist. Chir- Churchill's a 19th century man who lived long enough to be a very famous person come World War II, but he still had that 19th century worldview of keeping the empire together. I mean, everything Churchill did during World War II was not necessarily to win the war. It was just to keep the British Empire <laughs> intact. Sure. He wanted to at least he retain was, as much territory. Yeah. I mean, he's thinking about what the outcome of you know the Middle East is going to be in World War II because he wanted to secure resources and stuff afterwards. And well, he's like I uh, I've been reading a lot on Churchill lately, and like, on that on that point, a lot of what Churchill was about, he kept secret to himself. He didn't express a lot of his intentions. Um, like in 1941, like he was, as soon as the Americans were in the war, he started thinking post-victory. Yeah. As, he, he, should, as he, he should. He wasn't yeah. open about it. Like he was not communicating with Roosevelt immediately. Okay, like this is the way the world has to be after. Uh, certainly not open with Stalin. Certainly not open with Admiral King. <laughs> yeah. Admiral King went to war with him but, quite a bit. But, but I've always been like, you know. Although he did, um, he did admire King. Because King yeah. was a Navy man, and so what he didn't like about King was King was sending a lot of resources to, to the Pacific. Pacific. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that because there was a, a narrative after the war that King wasn't doing a lot to try and get more resources for the Pacific. And I never understood oh, how that narrative came he, around. I, you know, it's, it's ridiculous because at the beginning, um, 
America, uh, majority of uh, America was under the impression it was going to be an 80-20 war, 80% focused on Europe. And yeah, he brought that quickly with focused on the Pacific. But like, he, he brought it to the light. Okay, like, no, we have to divert resources to the Pacific immediately. Also, if we do not, like the Japanese will run rampant and like we, we might as well not be at war in the Pacific because yeah. if we do not invest, like they're just going to keep hitting us, hitting us and they're going to get away. But uh, uh, to, to get back, there's to, nothing we can do in Europe. Yeah, that we did go to get back more well, to Justin's question. We, we knew this that, was going to get like, sidetracked like, in a few places, but that's linguist the part. I, ironically, because this, this will definitely be premiering first on the Patreon account. So the patrons are going to going to see this. But. At some point, I don't know if it's going to be actually this month we're recording, the guy beside me is writing something for me about Churchill that's going to be it's, coming out that's going to explain a lot of interesting, yeah. kind of funny and kooky facts and about I him. probably have a few other Churchill things that uh, I, I yeah. want to do as well, because as I'm writing this Churchill thing, it gets me spinning on other Churchill things. Uh, what I a fascinating man. I, so fascinating. I couldn't help, but uh, I took and, the, the shark story already. Oh, yeah. No, no. You have to. Uh, uh, you, the, and, the, you and shark just, stories. You, you are just like a couple of things that stories. I discovered about Churchill while I'm focused on this very like narrow subject. Uh, uh, am, am I allowed to say it? Yeah, yeah go for All it. Right, it's, um, so I, I'm focusing on Churchill. Uh, 1941, America was just hit, and it's that month. Churchill uh, visiting the states, and it's basically it's his vacation. But at the same time, it's setting up the uh, um, the whole course of the war. They're so, planning. Him and FDR are planning the first year of the like, war in like a what in a week or two, just like that. Oh yeah, uh, and the methods of planning the war. It's you know interesting. Not, yeah, I, I, I dare say it was unorthodox. Uh, a lot of drinking. Well, uh, Churchill well, being fully naked and stuff in the well, White he, House. Church, um, <laughs> President Roosevelt's. Uh, uh, personal doctor and his wife came out <laughs> later in their memoirs labeling Churchill as public uh, to America public enemy number one. Uh, <laughs> Churchill did a lot of his uh, most important work and thinking uh, late at night. Till like 3 a.m.? Oh, yeah. yeah Possibly under the influence he, of certain yeah. liquids. Oh, he, the first thing he did, like getting into the White House, was he, he took aside. Um, uh, I guess I, I forget like the, the term for it but like his chief, medical note the, no but the, the chief butler for Roosevelt yeah. and he's just immediately like this is what I'm gonna need <laughs> and it's just like a list of alcohol and yeah. time specific and for the average person that level of consumption like it would just well there's I mean, a you million would, videos you would end on up YouTube in a hospital about uh, I drink what but, Churchill drank in a day and this and that but Churchill and everyone around him at all times is like this man drank a crazy amount, but never, never ever once, never ever once did I ever get a faint, uh, like notion that he was in any sense inebriated. But you know, he comes from the 19th century where even the work, you know, the working class man who was working in a factory job, they were drinking at breakfast, they're drinking at work, they're drinking at lunch, they kept going just because that's how they got through their day. That whole you. century was a, yeah. a state of inebriation. They, they, they weren't plastered per se, but they were buzzed up the whole day and that's what i would say about churchill like the guy if you look at his schedule of drinks it's like yeah this guy drank a lot but he was probably just on a really high buzz the whole uh, day. but arguably and i mean okay we're not going to get into the science of this but liquor. arguably minor amounts of inebriation be it booze or substances kind of flourishes creativity 
right? I guess like, you'd have to acknowledge it in Churchill's case. But no, but in many cases, artists, painters, Hemingway, musicians, yeah, yeah. songwriters, and you know, I was reading that Churchill was apparently a bit of an artist himself. Yeah. yeah. But also, like I said, uh, not only apparently a literary genius apparently he did write a novel and a short story which were published mm -hmm. uh, i don't know what they are or have never read them but and uh, you know the you're talking about a guy who was so busy you, you expect a politician to maybe publish a memoir at some he, point oh he, he did, did war memoirs yeah yeah famously and, and obviously like we said churchill is known for the the, the war reports he sent yeah. back for years but, a lot of propaganda, by the way. <laughs> a lot of propaganda. Very possibly, or drunk hallucinations, who knows. But, yeah. you know, when you think about somebody like that to go, he had time to sit down and write short stories or do something like that, you kind of go, okay, that's a little bit... Uh... He, he came from a very noble family. He brushed shoulders very early on. Uh, World War One almost ended his whole career because he made a lot of boo-boos in World War One, And he got, uh, well, he got... Well, I mean, he, got, he lost his positions yeah. at a few points and then he and had to rise up the ranks again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, arguably he would have been uh, prime minister earlier yes. were it not for that. I, I got to ask though, uh, so you mentioned the sharks or uh, what exactly? Oh, I made a shark. Okay. For it's anybody a, on the podcast who doesn't know, okay. No, he's talking My friend, about a, a Churchill story. It's yeah, it's, a, a, oh, during, sorry. It's oh. part of the, the thing I'm working on, uh, like, Churchill's vacation in the states. One of the things that he yeah, does you is look he goes <laughs> he goes down to Florida yeah. for uh, a few days just for some R and R, and um, he's out bobbling in the water and bobbling. <laughs> oh, naked, yeah, yeah. naked of, in the water. What, well, not naked, but one of his aides on the beach said he looked like a. Well, this was after. Um, so he, he goes into the the more deep water and he starts seeing a fin, and one of his uh, his aide, uh, one of the locals that's there with him. Uh, he's like, should I be afraid? Like, this is a shark. And he's like, oh, uh, I forget. It was a, a ground, ground shark. shark yeah. yeah. And uh, they're not dangerous or that. But Churchill, you know, has to embellish everything. And, uh, you know, he starts, like, challenging the, the sharks. Embellishing sort of. shark stories. Eh? Sounds a little familiar to a maybe but a story the, I know. But then the sharks started getting closer. And admittedly, uh, Churchill started getting a little uh, afraid. And so he came back into the shore and he never went further out from that. Yeah. Uh, but as the shark proceeded to, to leave the area, he yells to the shore, uh, uh, look at that, I've bested the shark. So something along those lines, I forget. So the exact um, uh, ironically, this happened in Florida and Justin's going to, I guess, presumably tell the story of how I ran into a shark in Florida uh, ran into the, a shark okay it was at For, least 21 i remember feet, you said it was so. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a 21 <laughs> yeah, okay. foot tiger shark yeah. uh, so great white uh, for, for those of you who know us know that craig and i have been friends for a very long time and his family always used to go to florida every year for a family vacation and for 20 something years he's been telling this story of his encounter I maybe said it three times of his encounter I, with a shark i'm glad you brought it up because i've completely forgotten about in it in florida okay where he claims that his leg got scratched by the tail fin of a shark no my legs bit off you when, can't see it when, on the when, camera when, like when in florida it's green screen did but every time he tells this story the shark gets bigger the injury gets more gruesome yeah. He's tried on multiple occasions to show a scar that does not exist on his leg, okay? And keeps claiming that he was bit by a shark, attacked by a shark when in Florida. 
Whereas I'm 90% sure his leg rubbed up against a guppy at some point. And he freaked out. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, it got to the point where it was one time when he was drunk, it was this big, long story. Oh, and, just... you know, he, he said he shoved a, a scuba tank into the shark's mouth and then shot it. And, and blew I said, the shark smile, just you son of a bitch. Recently, you know, yeah, exactly. Okay. Recently, I so just Craig seen has, <laughs> Craig has been embellishing this story for 20 plus years. And if anybody doubts that he's full of shit, I can't wait for the video of this to come out because all I had to do was look at him. And if you guys see the look on his face, you know that he is so full of shit. You, you don't understand. And I'm calling this right now. I, I was serving on this ship, sure. little little known ship, is the USS <laughs> Indianapolis. Uh, Nicholas Cage, <laughs> yeah, Nicholas, the, the film of Nicholas Cage. Oh, it was actually, dear God, it was not a good movie. Oh, fucking I was very disappointed that like they, it was so gimmicky because it's a serious story. It, like, a lot of people died. It, it was a little too gimmicky. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I got thrown off. Uh, the one part of that uh, film that really threw me off was the little love triangle. Because there has uh, to be a love triangle. Yeah, the, every American to, war film. It now. was okay. So Pearl this, Harbor. This God one, damn. Uh, I think it was like this one South Carolina uh, sailor's bringing his friend from New York, who's also a sailor on the ship, uh, to his hometown, where like they're on a plantation and they're meeting yeah. um, like his crush, basically. And the New York guy ends up dancing with her, and then they it's uh, it's like stay, identical. Stay. To then Pearl they go Harbor, dancing, and before they sail off. Wants to propose, but he loses the ring or whatever. It's Pearl Harbor, like yeah. Well, everybody knows triangle. war movies are about because romance. I mean, Top Gun is because is, the, is all about the father. The, the father Top dies. Gun's not a war film, for anyways. Yeah, the father dies, and then like the original guy has to raise the kid. Then it's like, yeah, that's definitely. It wasn't a good movie. So back to the question. Yeah, what a tangent off and, of. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just got uh, into sharks. Got into shark stories, but. You just know, is Shark Week coming up? I haven't looked. Maybe. I haven't seen Shark Week in a while. Um, Churchill was the Tolkien of politics. Well, that's... Uh, like he, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Where other politicians had a whole team to write stuff, like Churchill did it himself. Like he, just, okay. he, he, he had a natural talent for the English language. Well, there's and a that's lot. That's why like, his speeches, even to this day, are like still renowned. His famous quote, sorry, on YouTube, those are funny though. Now, I, I, I'm going to ask one last mini question to that and then I'll segue into okay. the next thing. But, you know, obviously a lot of politicians and world leaders and famous figures in history have been great speakers. But is it the speech that makes the man or is it the man that makes the speech? Oh, that's if, a good one. If you take any one of those great speeches and give it to somebody else, is it the same speech? It, when you know, I, uh, okay, do so people do people like, give Churchill can, credit? Can someone give a Churchill speech? Well, first of all, like a Churchill speech comes from Churchill. Like he is speaking from his own passion and in his own mind. No, it, so it, it, it is relative. So he's going to get into it better than anyone else. Like you have to be a really good actor to sell his own thoughts. A, a good example is to compare someone like Churchill to a president of the United States. I loathe was Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was what you would call a overly educated and intelligent person we will say that that so much so he couldn't speak to the common man his speeches like they went right over the head because he used let's say too big of words and such and he came off as an asshole all the other diplomats thought he was an asshole and he wasn't he was an asshole because the guy was a racist moron yeah. but yeah but uh yeah no like is it the speeches that the man churchill was able to read rooms he was able to read emotions uh, it's kind of funny to say, kind of like Adolf Hitler. 
Adolf Hitler just understood how to get the momentum in the room going. He could feel like the yeah. people, like how to get the, the right words, how to get people angry, excited, etc. And both of them really did talk on the fly. Yeah, but that's another thing. Like a lot of Churchill's speeches were on yeah. the fly. Whereas someone like FDR, much more, scripted. much more prepared. Yeah, but he gave very good speeches too. But that's what I'm saying. Like, let's assume, and again, we're theorizing here, but theorizing. Anyway. Take Churchill, right? Any given speech he made, some big speech, and have it was to rally the troops, it would not have the yeah. same but, desire. But have somebody else. I'm talking same intonation, exact same words, right? Oh, okay, okay. But the man behind the speech is different. Do people give more yeah, gravi- yeah, Do people give more gravitas yeah, to the speech yes. because yeah. of who's saying it? Absolutely. Yes. You know, you like a, a speech given by uh, Chamberlain, the the prime minister right before Churchill, or yeah. like the yeah. same speech. Like they're both going to say the same speech. I cannot see Chamberlain delivering a Churchill speech quite like Churchill does. I'd like to see any other politician give the speech Teddy Roosevelt gave when he uh, was shot on stage and continued. <laughs> For an hour. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Oh, so there was the man behind, but, but, you know. Yeah. So that's it. You know, great speeches. Now, segueing out, and I didn't actually write these in a segue order, but it just kind of, I'm trying to do my best here to make this oh, a yeah, little like bit you didn't prepare these rakes so, for us to step on. There. So, so, so we're talking about, you know, Churchill and literature, and let's talk a little bit more about pen on paper. In your channel, we've gone over a lot of treaties and agreements and accords between countries, obviously as war. And I don't know if we've covered this in one of your videos or not, but there was a pact signed in 1928 called the Kellogg-Briand Pact yeah. between England and France, which essentially banned war in between World War One and World War Two. Again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but can you tell me a little bit about that? And how do you get a pact that bans war right smack dab in the middle of two wars that still happen hey, anyway? First of all, there's you, more of those. If you make it illegal, them. no one's going to do it. That's it. If you make crime illegal, no one's going to do it. Basically, well, what was going on, it's late 20s. Yeah. There has been, new, even before the rise of, let's say, Hitler, because he's going to come in like kind of the early 30s, uh, Germany was progressively building up a military. It wasn't going unnoticed by everybody. France had been draconian towards Germany. Everyone knew the... Well, in that area, the largest buildup was perhaps Italy though. Yeah, yeah there was right, a buildup. Late twenties, like if you're this is uh when did this come out? Twenty eight. Okay, so like late twenties the, the most noticeable buildup you would see is Italy, uh Japan as well. Because this is okay, in the yeah I am just thinking about it from a European perspective. Yeah I guess uh oh, the, you, you have to look also absolutely at Russia. Japan. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about this is the age of naval build-up wars, so everybody's kind of going to war with building up naval assets and stuff. Like, they're limiting what Japan can do, so, like, Britain and the United States are making these deals, like the London Naval yeah. Treaty and all that. London Naval Treaty, That's the Washington in the 30s, Treaty. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why, was but, it Washington Treaty came before the London Treaty? Uh, yeah. Because I know uh, uh, eventually no, Japan was uh, circum- uh, Washington's first. Yeah, yeah, and then London. And, uh, but the Kellogg-Briag Pact is kind of part of what the League of Nations was trying to do at the time. They mm. were just trying to thwart the possibility of World War One occurring again. 
And you're, you're seeing this in the face of like an unbelievable amount of aggression from certain actors. For example, Japan is trying to perform false flag operations against the Chinese. And this is very noticeable. The League of Nations is taking notice of this. In 1928, uh, there's an attack on Jiang Zoudin, which was pretty famous. And there was another incident. Uh, but We've talked a lot about those, I know, in some of your Pacific Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, on my channel right now, I'm hitting that time period. But in terms of like uh, Europe, uh, you're, you're, you're seeing them trying to establish a world order. The League of Nations really thought that they could do so much. They built like this city called Danzig, which is going to be like the international city and all this with its own little language and stuff. It was pipe dreams. Uh, yeah, the, it, it, the world was taken over by... It was doomed to fail. I mean, yeah. think about like the originator of the League of Nations backed out of it. The first one to back out. Wilson. Well, I mean, I'll give it to Wilson. He... It was Cong. Well, it was the Congress. They they didn't vote for it. He he was screwed. Yeah, like he, yeah re- he created it. When the rest of the world, he's like, oh, okay, yeah. the originator of it doesn't even have faith in it. Why should we? No, no, exactly. Immediately, no, Woodrow did legitimacy. He did unbelievable damage. Like uh, honestly, the Pacific War. A, lar- a large reason is because of Woodrow Wilson not acknowledging the Japanese as racially uh, on the same page as everybody else. They insulted Japan, and Japan came back and bit them in the ass after. But uh, for your question. In the greater scope of things, there was very limited amount of wars going on. There was wars like in Bolivia or something, but in Latin America was kind of heated up. But as far as Europe was concerned, no one had taste for it. They actually thought that they could put into law these things and it would be respected. And uh, as Gentlemen's we would, agreement. yeah, and as we will see in the mid thirties, uh, Japan just leaves the League of Nations altogether. And uh, Hitler makes a mockery of them because he realizes as he ta- takes each nation that they're not going to do anything. Italy goes. But into this was just between Italy and Ethiopia. But this was just between the United Nations and France, or everybody signed this thing and said like, "Yeah, we're on board with this." I can't remember how many signatories for the Kellogg Pact because. Uh, yeah, I don't need exact. It, it, it has more influence on the Soviet Union and Germany later, but uh, I can't remember who signed off on it. Yeah. So more than just UK and France, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I just find that hilarious. Yeah, let's just sign this piece of paper that says we're not going to war. It, and then it just sounds like we're going more, to war. But it, yeah, no, it's, it, means, it means nothing. It, yeah. it just sounds like it's more of a, an extension of the League of Nations. Like what the League of Nations is supposed to exist yeah. for. That, okay, communication before retaliation. and That's, I, I don't know. I just find it hilarious that they would go through all that. Oh, there's a lot of treaties that are ridiculous. Yeah, of course. Now, okay. Yeah, well, there's been, I mean, we've gone through the, the unequal treaties of Japan and China and all that stuff, but I just found it hilarious that they even bothered to sign this thing that says, like, we're not going to fight. And then they're like, the Royal yeah, okay, fuck that. We're, we're, we're going at it anyways. I'm, I'm trying to remember some of the, what was the treaty where um, France gave up all their Indian possessions what? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Well, at first they gave up a, a major colony in India to uh, maintain uh, Louisburg. And then in the, the next war, they gave up, well, Quebec, just to save well, all so their Well, Louisiana Purchase. You mean when they gave up all their holdings in the Mississippi region of the United States? No, or? no, when they, they gave up, Quebec, uh, well, at the end of the Seven Years' War, England had given France the option. Okay, oh, it's yeah, your sugar yeah. colonies or Quebec. Oh, you yeah. get to choose one. I mean, in the two and in the islands. War, and in the war before that, uh, 
they gave up uh, their possessions in India at the time yeah. for the Fortress Louisbourg. Well, I, that kind of made it, it kind of made sense because the British were unbelievably dominating India. Like there was no way that the French were going to be capable of fighting that over there. The French were having enough problems with Southeast Asia, and anyways, but yeah. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, I got yeah, I got two topics it. left on my little sheet. I'll admit one of them is just a random tidbit that I threw in there. I don't know how much we're going to be able to talk about it, but I found it kind of weird, and me being the quote-unquote economics guy, I found it hilarious. Apparently, Fanta was created. I know this one. <laughs> okay. Because during the war, uh, there was an embargo, and Coca-Cola could not export their products to, the U- to Germany, Germany and to Europe. So they basically took a whole bunch of leftover shit and piled it into whatever this new drink was that was Fanta just so they could still make money and sell their products during the war. Is so, that yeah. like this is actually part of it's not just this. There, there was a lot of different products that had to be changed or called different things or done in different ways. Cuz Fanta is extremely popular in Germany. I know this even to Ironically this day. to like today it's actually it's remained I didn't as a know beverage. It it existed that long. Uh, it's been called the Coca-Cola of Nazi Germany because basically Germany, uh, when the war, well, just before the war, uh, when the things were kicking off and they were uh, being anti-American, they're like, okay, no jazz music because that was seen as very American. Uh, no Coca-Cola because that was, you know, the number one thing that was seen as America. How so could, how could they, how could they refuse Coca-Cola? Yeah. By the way, not sponsored, but please. Coca-Cola oh line directly in there. Yeah, Thank this you. guy. This guy chases his Coca-Cola with another Coke. Yes. That so, is correct. So as you had, as you had said, uh, the Coca-Cola company was making, you know, hand over fizz money internationally. I mean, it, Coca-Cola, before McDonald's came to be, Coca-Cola was America's extension to the world. I mean, Coca-Cola, you would see it even in the freaking, even in the Soviet Union during World War II, you'd see like Coca-Cola was the thing. But for the Germans, they had to get rid of the image of it being American. They, they are providing a cocaine beverage and people get hooked. Yeah. So for Nazi Germany, uh, just like the whole jazz problem, which by the way, there was a whole black market for jazz music in Germany. It's a really weird and funny story. Okay, that's another thing we could delve yeah. into. But, but for Coca-Cola, yeah. They had to create an entire different beverage to just meet the needs of the German people. And the same company... And that they Coke. could sneak in there and say yeah. that and it's it was not like Coca-Cola. A, and it was like a Coca-Cola substitute? Because when I think Fanta, I think like... Well, it's I different think, completely. I think orange soda. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, immediately yeah. when I hear well, Fanta... Well, that's what it is now. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Fanta was created because of that. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, other things that had to be like their names were changed or something. Like, for example, uh, people remember the Walt Disney cartoons. Like, uh, you know the... What do you call it? The anti-war little cartoons oh, yeah. or the yes. pro yeah, ally yeah. cartoons? Like early, early Disney yeah. stuff. Well, yeah, Disney, early there was yeah. also animation stuff going for the Germans. So there was like this other thing and they were part of it too. And it was the same thing. They had to change the name and all that because Disney became, you know, anti, uh, well, during the war became anti-Nazi Walt, stuff. Walt Goebbels, I'm just imagining it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney is a, Disney and Hitler had something in common. I'll just say that much. Not, not that I, <laughs> I want it to be made, but it's just like, because you make the reference of like Walt Disney and now I'm thinking Goebbels. Like, what if Goebbels made Frozen? What kind of movie <laughs> would that have Where been? Where did we go in I this know, podcast? I know, I know, I <laughs> know. Okay, so I'm just thinking, uh, this is, the, the cast is like a, a few children. They're in like this decrepit bunker. 
And at the end, uh, they all just say, well, we're going to let it go. And mom and dad come. <laughs> I'm sorry, I took this to a dark place. I, 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 I can go into like the, the Jesus, dude. I I have no part of this, by the way, guys. That that's not me. That's these two. If anyone's ever but, seen, well, the if, if Germany's gonna be trying to be and make American knockoffs. Oh god. <laughs> Wait. Uh, okay. So Snow White was in the 30s. So let's do. Gerber. No. You took no, this no, a really, I know, really I know, dark I know, place. I know. <laughs> I'm I'm cutting this yeah. off now because this is going yeah. to go to so, a place where Craig cannot post this video. Yeah. So Fanta uh, came about, and you know, there's other famous things like uh, IBM. You know the the international business machines. Not so popular, I guess now, but you know, in the '90s and the early 2000s, pretty popular. They started out making some certain machines for camps in Germany and in Poland and stuff. Really? Yeah. I actually know a guy who worked. At IBM. Okay, know. I was gonna say, yeah. where are no, you no, going with that? I, I thought it was gonna <laughs> no, be. No, but that. I, I know a guy who I know worked a guy who worked there for a long time, was... and I, I'd be interested to ask him about that because he might know certain things. But uh, throw the last well, question I mean, at us. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I can understand where IBM is coming from. I mean, just look at uh, post World War II. A lot of uh, prominent American scientists did come from uh, from Germany. Yeah. Now the a last lot. question. Yeah, and of. this is one of the ones that I kind of toted myself as maybe the most internet bullshit, but we're going to see. I'm going to throw out the names of a bunch of historical figures, and I'll see if you guys can pick out what a lot of them have in common, according to this odd fact off the internet. Now, this all started with me looking up a few things about Napoleon. And Napoleon is the only one on this list that they say is a question mark. It's like tentative, maybe, they're not sure, it was never really documented. But, what do all these figures have in common? Napoleon, Mussolini, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Shakespeare, Louis the Fourteenth, although I don't think it fucking matters, and Adolf Hitler. And obviously more than just they were like a leader of nations or a, a famous man. historical figure. What is something that all those people apparently or supposedly had in common? This is going to be something gimmicky here. Historically. It's, it's oh, it's gimmicky as fuck. Because you could say, oh, they're but, megalomaniacs. Oh, they were conquerors in their own fields. But there's something else. Here. Are, are, okay, it can't be genetic lineage. Uh, no, they're not all related. They're not all cousins. Genghis Khan wouldn't yeah, well, I mean, well, mind you, Genghis go, Khan had like what twenty thousand children or something stupid like that. And Alexander did get around. Some of these guys conquered great spans of territory, but then you got Shakespeare. Oh, it's uh, I'll I'll even help you out more. To, it's way more gimmicky than that. If this has to do with height, it has very little to do with their accolades, and more something to do with their. I'm going to say character, personality, or psychological well-being, but not... Insomniacs. No, but you're on the right track. Kind of. Because, like, Napoleon, the first thing that comes to mind, he was a huge insomniac. Uh, he had problems. And he did a lot of drugs because of it. Drugs. No. Well, I mean, what do you mean the drugs that they... What, what's, an, what's, an, what's another <laughs> kind... A lot of, of psychological problem you can have. I mean, narcissistic. Yeah, but that's... It's kind of a given right, in a certain sense. Sense. Narcissistic is too broad. This is way more specific. This is a specific thing. Are you saying they have a disorder? 
I don't know if these count as disorders. You studied more psychology than I did, but yeah. But I I know of Napoleon. Uh, I don't know what you could say of Gang Genghis Khan. Okay, um, I'll give you the last term of it. Mussolini was on the list. It's a phobia. Phobia. Uh huh. Okay, I'm trying to okay list the guys again. Genghis, Napoleon, Anaconda. Yeah, all of course, Shakespeare of was afraid of Anaconda. And Genghis Khan. Okay, Napoleon, and like I said, Napoleon is the only one that's a question mark. Okay, Some I'll people knock him out of the list. hypothesize. Okay, Mussolini. Mussolini, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Shakespeare, Louis the Fourteenth, and Hitler. Apparently, they all had a fear and of or a phobia of. You're not correct, but you are on the right track. Snakes? No. Hitler phobia. Apparently. And like I said, th this is the one that leaned to me as the most internet bullshit, but it's a random thing I came across, and I was like, I is mean, this a thing? If it's a phobia, okay, like, that, that's why I went with the anaconda, just thinking, like, okay, the most common, like, phobias, snakes, spiders, heights. Well, it'd be rats in this case. That's the most common, I guess, of those spiders. Well, rats. I think spiders is the most common, but uh, neither of you are right, but you're both on the right track. It is an animal. Definitely not dogs. Definitely cats. Hitler was an animal lover. They were all afraid of cats? Apparently, I mean, there yeah, is Hitler, documentation. Hitler was a, a dog lover. I don't know how historically accurate this is. I haven't read any of the sources. But apparently, Mussolini all of, of these people were afraid of cats. Even Alexander? Even Alexander How can the you Great. be the pharaoh of Egypt and be afraid of cats? But then again, when you have the army... But that's it. one thing where I found this interesting, is if you were to go to a place like Egypt, like Cleopatra or somebody, where cats actually have a very big part in the Egyptian mythology or whatever yeah. the hell it is, then that would make sense. But Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, you're going to every corner of the world here, all the way to France... You know, there is well, okay, a meme. I don't know a lot about church, for, but I know enough to know that cats don't have a lot to do with the Catholic Genghis Church. Khan, they didn't have many cats. Genghis. Though. Genghis. Genghis Khan, was, there is a meme that, I don't know if it was Genghis or one of his commanders was apparently afraid of cats. I know because someone who writes for KNG actually had talked about this a little bit. But they're a lot more uncommon uh, like I in said, Mongolia no, than like... Well, they got mountain and stuff, but... Well, like a Roman camp, you'll have cats everywhere. Yeah, and bear in mind, cat, cat is cat. Falling. I don't know if this, this is, is random. On, I don't know. This is weird. I, I know this step, is random. That, that's cats. why I saved this one for last, because this one is... It, is it possible? Is there any historical backing that you've maybe heard of? Is there any research you could do to find out if all these people shared a fear of cats? And if so, why? And does it prove that cats is are it, actually the pet Is it a Satan? fear, or they just don't like them? Well, you said folk. again, I found many different websites or many different things referencing this. Again, on a Google search, I'm not talking about academic uh, first sources here. Sorry. We don't do that here, actually. But a lot of them listed it as a phobia. And they gave some big long name, which I don't remember what it's actually called, but it's something a phobia, which is a fear of cats. It's kind of funny that. Mussolini and Hitler were afraid of cats. Okay. I can, okay, so I can see Hitler, okay, not necessarily fear of cats, but he doesn't like cats, 
because it comes he was down to like, are you a dog or a cat person? Yeah, and he was a very famous dog person. Uh, Mussolini, like hmm. the way that guy fucking rambles, like oh my god, he'd scare away so any cat. Ilurophobia. Okay, it's called Ilurophobia. And uh, yeah, apparently was something that affected all of these people. And could there, if it is a real Alexander thing, which again I don't know, is there a coincidence of why all these great world conquerors and leaders and historical figures were all afraid of cats? By the way, this is coming from somebody who also believed cats are the spawn of Satan and need to be removed from this planet. Yeah, but they're also they're also necessary in a war camp. No. Like dogs are the way to go. Fuck cats. Sorry. Cats are nimble Personal enough thing. to. Well, it, it, it's more for you know rat disposal. Okay, tigers and every, lions. Every are war cool. camp you that you them. have is every have. Roman legionnaire had at least twenty cats beside him. Would you like it really? Was a cat. Is there something I don't know about cats being brought into war camps? Like what? What, what is this? What, they would just naturally follow. I mean, I, I mean, where where the humans go, the cats. There's go. gonna be rats, and it's a food source. So, well, I do think, wasn't it an actual thing that some, like, old sailors and pirates used to keep cats on the ship just to catch the mice? But that's irrelevant. That is well, okay, true. who's... Oh, I wish that was one of your questions. Uh, who's the most famous cat of World War II? Garfield. Unsinkable. It's a great story, by the way. Oh, um... I, I remember this. I don't care. It's um, yeah, he, he's been on. Uh, well, it, he's actually like kind of like a token of destruction. Whatever ship he's on sinks. Wait, Lord you don't Beerus. know the ship? Hmm? Well, what ship is it? Lord he's, Beerus. He started on the Bismarck. On the Bismarck? Oh, uh, yeah. Wait, didn't the British take him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the Afterwards, British took the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, it's, yeah. It's, it's unsinkable Sam. Unsinkable Sam, yeah. He sailed off. So it's with a cat that survived like 20 warships sinking, I um, guess. All these ships had masks. He survived, yeah. And some of these ships, like, like, really mass casualties when the ships went down. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Unsinkable Sam always survived. And uh, so uh, Unsinkable Sam started on the Bismarck and then uh, went out to the Prince of Wales. And then sunk in the Pacific, but he... Wait, was I, he on the Prince of Wales during I, Four Seas disaster? I'm not sure about that. i got to look into that. Because that would have been rough. That. <laughs> that not only is like he's on all these different ships, but he's also in different theaters. And That sounds like this cat's the um, worst luck ever. Oh, yeah. He was on the Bismarck, uh, and on, then he goes to Prince they, of Wales. It's um, not great. He was on the Ark Royale also. The, so it's not good luck. Carriers, uh, <laughs> And and unsinkable Sam, he survived into the fifties. Passed away, a very happy cat. Uh, yeah, maybe that cat's responsible for the deaths of countless sailors. I don't know. Some, I can see it the other side of the coin. Some people would say like Sam being on your boat was an omen of death, because every every single ship that unsinkable Sam but served on the greatest the, the greatest mascot animal was it? How do you pronounce it? It was the Polish bear. Was it Wojciech? Wojciech? That bear that was, he was with a Polish division and he, they trained this bear apparently to literally carry uh, ammunition and stuff. And he wouldn't leave the companies and he would just do work and be with them in order to, uh, and he grew up as a cub with the units. Mm. So the one thing he would see in the military was guys handing each other cigarettes. So the bear would want cigarettes and it would just like eat them or something. 
I, I, I remember, I don't know if most I mean, some true. people smoke them, some people eat them, you know. But it's the funniest thing to hear this bear. And sorry, I'm reading this off of a Google search now, but uh, yeah, I did miss a couple names off the list evenly, but I'll just read this little passage to you, again, from a random magazine, but still. Some of the famous leaders and dictators that are said to have been horrified by cats, Alexander the Great of Macedonia, one that I missed yeah. off the list, the famous Roman Julius Caesar, okay, Genghis Khan, also known as the Great Khan of the Mongol Empire, Louis the Fourteenth, Monger, known as King of whatever the hell, Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, it is said that they caused trembling to Napoleon's bone and had a panic crisis as if he was, if he was watching a cat, which again is the one that they were weird about. I think they're uh, making something about. Apparently, the also Dwight D. Eisenhower. You're telling me Ike was afraid of cats. I, I don't know. I've never heard of this know. before. So you guys have never heard of this. This is not... Again, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is internet bullshit, but could be. would be an interesting coincidence it, if it, all of these figures... That's a normal human thing. No matter how tough you are, there is going to be something that you're ultimately afraid of and it might seem trivial to somebody else, but like... Yeah, another. but again, if you're talking in a... In a vacuum, if you're talking about people who lived in Egypt during a certain time period, but you're talking about all extremely yeah. well-known historical figures throughout a large span of history, too. If you go from Genghis Khan all the way to Dwight D. Eisenhower, you're talking a while. True. Yeah. So the, the that would be Khan a hell one. of a coinky-dink. Or who was first? He was before Alexander or after Alexander? I'm very bad with this. No, Alexander's before James Khan. Yeah, okay. So, again, you're talking even longer then. Oh, there's a huge disparity well, between these Yeah, James Khan is what, like, uh, 1300? 12. Oh, God. Yeah, and when was out. Alexander the Great then? Uh, he's... Uh, oh, wait, we were in school for this, weren't we? We took the same class in university. By the way, I come we to also... these guys for the answers. They don't even know... A ballpark, Wrigley I mean, Field here. 300 and something BC. So 300 he BC. He to, dies in 326. It's right before Shit, the. This is gonna kill me now. It's right before the. So one time I'm pulling out my So phone. 300 it, it's BC. Like three, it's like 300 BC. Okay, so 300 BC until when was Eisenhower? Because I'd argue that's the World War Two Eisenhower. Yeah, exactly. Well, when he was commanding, I mean, he exactly. Was so I mean, you're talking uh, over 2,000 years of disparity here. 2200 years almost yeah 336 okay, yeah yeah so, we really should have known that like 323 okay 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 so anyways you, you're talking 2200 years of disparity and obviously there's more people that have a deadly fear of cats but all of these historical figures oh my god if it was true i'm saying if because it's probably bullshit but are you, are you if gonna, it was you true you okay you're gonna get happy what what does that signify? Are cats actually the biggest evil in the universe? Cats have always been considered kind of omni, like you know, like the whole thing about a black cat being bad luck. It's true in multiple cultures around the world. Cats have always had this weird kind of enduring presence. The ancient Egyptians, for example, there's like a fame. I'm an idiot. I don't know ancient Egypt, but there was a famous battle against them where these guys literally threw cats at the ancient Egyptian warriors to scare them during battle. Apparently, it worked. Be able to fight. Yeah. yeah. Really? They revered cat. Well, you know, they, like, I don't know if but it's... But like, again, if we were talking about Egyptian history, even I know that. Cats and dogs and cats, jackal all have something were, to do with deities. Kind of makes sense, you cats know? Cats were connected to the underworld. Yeah. In a way. yeah. 
and by the street. My Egyptian taxes. history comes from the Brendan Fraser movies, so like that's as my as I get. most of uh, mine too. Yeah. Uh, honestly, apparently they might make great. another mummy movie with Brendan Fraser. Okay, I was just gonna say it has to be Brendan Fraser, but at the same time, the last mummy movie was with Brent. Well, I can't say the Tom last Cruise. one. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. No, but I mean the Mummy Three with Brendan Fraser was Brendan Fraser, but yeah, it was awful. Oh, the one with it Jet Li or it was whatever. Really bad. They, it was, it, they it was terrible. Uh, but also, know. it had a completely different production team. Yeah, you could tell they didn't know what they were doing. It's kind of, I mean, it's an interesting setup with Jet Li as the uh, the ancient leader of China. But, uh, you know, anyways. I don't know. Complete off topic, but the, the, A, the mummy's supposed to be Egyptian. Sorry, but why do we have Chinese mummies? And Technically, it was a mummy. I well, mean, they, also, and, in that film, they were leading up for the fourth one, which is going to be hot a take, mummy. Yeah. Hot take. I'm the first guy to say it. I love old franchises and nostalgic. I don't care if you're a fan of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, whatever it is. But at some point, I'm sorry, just let franchises die. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. I don't care if you bring back the full original cast when it's 40 years later and they're all decrepit and you throw a script together just to make a quick buck. Oh, it's so Fuck embarrassing Fuck the last today. Indiana Jones movie. Fuck whatever mummy is coming out. Although the whale with Brendan Fraser was really good. Those are two uh, he's, different he's, things. He's, he's, he's amazing. Two completely different things. He had a I was glad. I was glad to see him back, and he did an amazing job in that. Yo, he had a really rough patch. A lot of shit happened. But him. bringing back all these franchises just to try and make a quick buck. I'm sorry. Let it die, and let it die with dignity. You know, what? that's I, my hot. I'm gonna have to. Really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to put my foot down right. and say, put a chick in it, make her gay, make it lame. <laughs> make. It. <laughs> you know what's really pissing me off It's because all these studios they are investing in these new directions, yeah. and they give up halfway. Like at least go the distance. So like one one of the things that uh, ticked me off was uh, like in the um, the Mummy remake, it they were starting a new universe. The dark. Where they were gonna, yeah, 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 the the. Yeah. The dark universe, uh, or the the dark universal universe that they were gonna yeah, call it. Yeah, something like that. And it's you know the universal um, monsters that they have rights Brendan to. Brendan Fraser so versus Thanos. The Mummy, Frankenstein, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. So they had uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, exactly. So they had Tom Cruise as the Mummy. I know that it was really weird. The it Dracula movie was that. Um, what was the name of that actor? He's a British actor. That yeah, was I forget it. his name, but it was the whole Vlad the Impaler story. It, it wasn't great. But anyways, the, the, oh, the movie wasn't the great. Legolas lookalike. Uh, Dr- yeah, uh, he's actually in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes, he's in the Hobbit. Yeah, he he's plays Bard. Bard. Yes. Bard yeah. uh, I know exactly yeah, the guy you're talking about. Had, I always um, forget his name. Dracula Untold was the uh, movie. Yeah, that's it. I, Frankenstein, was going to be the other one. Oh, <laughs> So like they they had plans and they were gonna start like make movies and eventually they would all connect and they were gonna you know like do well, you know MCU what? style maybe they, but they uh, gave up halfway maybe and, they I mean, they did the right thing to not continue because look what's happened to no, the because, MCU now no because they discontinue it and then what did they do the year later oh let's make a remake and they just start it over it's yeah. like DC it's yeah. like just keep rehashing yeah but that's it. at least stick to one of them Holly- see how it plays out Hollywood in general Hollywood lost creativity a long time ago they don't make original well, films anymore Luke Evans. Yeah, but the original films, like The Whale, are the ones that... Yeah. Well, the, the thing like is... Really acting prowess. If you look historically at the great films of, you know, Aliens, Star Wars, all these films, it's like, they didn't have incredibly giant budgets. It was an idea, a 70, lot of... 70s, 80s creativity. Yeah. And it was, it, but that wasn't just, you know, the directors, the producers. 
Like that was ground floor. Like people yeah. working on the effects, the the models, taking and risks. Like that. Too. It was it was passion from the littlest guy, and it was just like you could feel that from the film. But they took risks, which is something Hollywood doesn't do anymore. Yeah. No one, no producers are willing to put money on anything riskful. They just go for the same cookie cutter bullshit. The M MCU is like rampant with it today. And, uh, yeah, like, look at, look, even Warner Brothers, like, why are they even continuing the, in the game doing these hero films? Like, like, Joker was great. But other than that, recently, what are you doing? Well, it doesn't like, make any sense. Joker changed the meta. It wasn't even a... Because it was it original, wasn't a yeah. It was, like, a completely different thing. That was more, you know, just a, a psychological drama. Man, we really went down the rabbit hole. Yeah, uh, yeah. And now, no, and now people are going to start realizing. But, but, but either way, I'm out yeah. of questions. But yeah. these are just weird, quirky things that I found that I was kind of like. This is going okay. on the Patreon only. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, come on. It's, uh, that's what a podcast Wait, no, is just a bunch I, of drunk I, guys I, talking okay, about Okay, so we, shit. we did talk about Unsinkable Sam. I do want to say which ship exactly he was on. Every single ship. There was also an African Grey parrot that was on a British ship. I don't know which one. God, what was the name of that African grey? It was a funny story. It lived a long time, and it used to uh, be shown in magazines. Indians oh, going. Somebody in. changed their password. Oh ball! I think that's uh, it's gonna be it for this <laughs> podcast. Hang on, unsinkable Sam. Unsinkable here. Sam. Yeah, look up his career. By the way, to uh, oh, random fly up there. <laughs> uh, to uh, the patrons who are listening, please, uh, when I put up polls, you know, you can choose whatever I, I put up as these random choices, but uh, do comment what you want to hear more of because uh, a few of you guys who've come forward to ask me to do special pieces like um, the Ishiwata Kanji series turned out to be really cool and uh, kind of a rabbit hole adventure. But uh, yeah, give me ideas and it doesn't have to be about the Pacific War, please. Uh, I know about World War II. I love the fall of the Roman Republic, for example. Um, Mongolian Empire, I like. Uh, what else? History of Canada, Quebec, United States, Southeast Asia, I, I tried to drop a couple of them. Okay, so I did find the Wikipedia page for Unsinkable Sam. And this is where I'm either going to expose myself as an idiot or find a typo. In Wikipedia. Why? Because this is a word I've never heard of before. So, Unsinkable Sam, also known as Oscar, is the name of a ship's cat who purportedly... Is that a word in the English language? Oh my god, did they make a cat pun? Per? This is supposed to be... Uh, is that supposed to be a I think it's a cat pun? pun. There's no way that's a cat pun. They would have sure. bolded I, it That's why they spoke like it has to be a cat pun. Per. Yeah. Yeah, but per is two R's. I, I, I don't know. It's written purportedly. Whoever wrote that, <laughs> it's a cat if pun. that's a word in I the English language pun. and I'm an idiot, then fuck everybody. Oh my god, everybody. somebody actually messed with the Wikipedia okay. page. Served during World War II with both the Kriegsmarine and the Royal Navy and survived the sinking of three ships. Bismarck, okay. Prince of Wales. Uh, hang on. Bismarck, Prince of Wales, Art Brown. Patchcat was supposedly unknown, owned by an unknown crewman of the German battleship Bismarck and was on board in 1941, Operation Rheinberg, or Rhine, whatever. Bismarck's only mission, sunk after a naval battle, 27th of May, only 115 crew survived, and was picked up by the HMS Cossack, 
cat served on board the Cossack. Blah, 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 blah. And we get to later, HMS Legion was transferred to yeah, the destroyer HMS the Legion. We just assume that because the Prince of Wales okay. took out the Bisboy. But, no, it, okay, there's not all the ships sank, but it was on a bunch of different uh, yeah. HMS vessels. Well, this is quoting three. Oh, and it was transferred to the HMS Lightning? Okay. That was soft. But, anyways, uh, that's what this says, but, uh, yeah. Pretty sure Art It's a cat, it lived on a boat, the boat sank, and cat lived. But so, it, it, super it cat. survived three different ships that sank. Well, I just named three. Yeah, I uh, just named four ships, actually. It, Ian, if you guys actually like us, by the way, just rambling like this, I, I, I have to do something about my personal podcast. I'll just say it here. So as everyone knows on the Patreon, because you probably found me from Kings and Generals from one of the two podcasts. Uh, I, I do the, uh, the Pacific War week by week, and I do the Fall and Rise of China. Some of you might also know I, I have a private podcast called the Pacific War Channel Podcast, and it's directionless. And uh, I'm going to have to do something about that because it hasn't made sense since I joined Kings and Generals that I'm doing two kind of Pacific War-y podcasts. So uh, I'm thinking about doing more loose to the cuff stuff like this, and uh, we might do. Uh, I might start to do weekly, single narration or with uh, people around me about general history. So tackling stories from any time, region, or place. That's something that's interesting to you. Please let me know in the comments on this video on the Patreon account. And uh, with that, I'm gonna thank the two guys that came here. You're welcome. Sorry if I rambled or brought up some yeah. things that are absolute historical bullshit, it was, but... It was very loosely structured, like, basically, as it was described. I, it was like, like, you could tell Justin, we came in Justin's and Justin's going to have a couple of questions, and then, you know... Kellogg Brienne Pact. It's like, I'm like, oh, my God, why are you bringing this? Anyways, but it was pretty random. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, but that's... Uh, and, uh, it's fun to quiz you sometimes, you know? I don't know about this idiot. shit. That's why you're here. Like I said, you're my personal wiki. Although, Wait, honestly, uh, honestly I'd like, once we started talking, I was like, Joe, Joe, I wanted to keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I knew that this could have just been a podcast. We could do just a podcast about church. I was thinking once the podcast comes out, because he's writing me a script right now, I'm going to do it. Actually, it's going to be for you guys on the Patreon. Uh, I could do an interview with Ian because he's been reading a bunch of books and we can just talk more and more about Churchill and random things we know about the guy because the guy is famous and infamous, you know, for, for all sorts of reasons. I still and think, really, I mean, it's way above our pay grade. But if you're going to talk Churchill for an hour, you know who's a giant Churchill fan that you would need to get on this podcast? Is Burt Kreischer. Oh, I'll try how, to get Burt Kreischer on here. I don't know how it would happen. Shout out to Burt Kreischer. We love you. Yeah. But I know you're a huge Churchill fan. You I, thought you were yeah. getting a piece of Churchill history when you actually got Hitler's teacup for your birthday. I was going to say he has to bring year. Hitler's <laughs> teacup. But you know what? Maybe... It's, uh, maybe. I know Maybe these two Nick guys Mullen. that you could riff oh, about Churchill Nick for Mullen hours on it. Oh, I would pay. I would pay anything to top be dollar. Nick, Nick Mullen, Mullen. Doing Churchill, oh Churchill voice. Oh my god, Nick Mullen with Churchill voice. By the way, I just saw a clip he was with Shane Gillis doing a Halloween special. It's gonna be good. Uh, that's it for the Pacific War Channel podcast for you patrons. Please like. Obviously, don't subscribe because it's a Patreon thing. But uh, let us know what you're going to hear more from in the future, and we'll do more ad hoc stuff like this. Until next time, over and out. Thanks, guys.